Oodle-lally, oodle-lally, golly, what a day. We're live. Metamore City, a podcast series created by Chris Lester. For more information, please visit www.metamorecity.com. Hey folks, welcome back to the Metamore City Podcast Feedback Extravaganza. It's a marathon of biblical proportions, or at least uh, Peloponnesian War proportions. <laughs> I am Chris Lester. I am J. Daniel Sawyer, author of the Antithesis series and of Sculpting God, which you can find at www.jdsawyer.net. And I'm Kitty Nakian, a random female voice. As random as it gets. Indeed. All right, so we are here as... Uh, as opposed to somewhere else. As opposed to somewhere else. We are here in Casa Sawyer answering your voicemails and emails and all that other good stuff. And we are as opposed to somewhere else as we can possibly be. That's right. Morally. Absolutely. Okay. So why don't we start out this one with some voicemails today. Hi, this is Terminus Vox in Atlanta wanted to call, and I just have this to say about the latest episode of Metamore City. Lester, you cliffhangering bastard. <laughs> That's all. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> Thank you, Terminus. I've gotten a lot of people calling me out for my cliffhangering bastardy on this last few episodes. Um, Although I personally think that the last episode was really not a cliffhanger, because to my mind there has to be some element of personal imperilment for it to be a true cliffhanger. Uh, if you want every episode to end feeling reasonably well-resolved, you're not in a novel, you're in an anthology. So there's It going... was a cliffhanger, Chris. It uh, was an emotional cliffhanger. I guess... I guess. What really happened is I was writing, 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 and I was like, oh, crap. If I keep going and actually include the next scene in this, it's going to be like an hour and a half long when I read it. So I cut it off there. So, sorry. Sort, sort of like emergency circumcision. <laughs> <laughs> blink, blink. Can you tell that it's almost 11 o'clock? Even for you, that was... Random? Coming from a very Bizarre. odd place. <laughs> Dude, I've been sit we've been sitting here recording feedback for five hours. I'm punchy. Wow. <laughs> okay, well... Fist fight! Fist fight! Sorry. Play the next voicemail! Hey, Chris. This is Mary Laura calling from Louisville, Kentucky. Um, been listening to your podcast for quite a while, keeping up with it. Just listening to episode um, 25, and I'm um, really enjoying it. And um, it's just everything starting to come together for me. I feel like uh, got a little slow there, but you're setting it all up, and now it's all coming together, and um, really getting a kick out of it. So just wanted to uh, let you know and uh, give you some some good stuff, good energy to keep doing it because that's awesome. Great quality, too. I tell you what, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and yours is exceptionally well-produced. So um, keep at it. Really enjoying it. Thanks a lot. Take care. Well, thank you very much. I certainly intend to keep doing it as long as I can, as long as they don't 
drag me away kicking and screaming from the microphone. And uh, yep, the setup is now complete. All of the dominoes are in place. And chapter 26 began the process of knocking them down. We are on the downward slope towards the big climactic finale. So hang on to your seats because it's one heck of a ride from here. (laughs) Master Lester, this call is in regard to the increase in clientele I've been seeing of late. While I'm not what anybody could reasonably be called happy to serve customers under normal circumstances, It seems that recently a large number of people in the city have decided to simply stop by my store because they find me interesting or fascinating. This simply must stop, Master Lester. I do not have the time to entertain, to regale people with stories, or to make introductions to a certain vapid barista, who has also taken to frequenting my shop, despite the fact that she never actually buys anything remotely magical. Kindly let people know that my shop deals in serious merchandise for serious magical practice, not trinkets and souvenirs. If people do not wish to buy anything of import, then they should take their business elsewhere. Thank you in advance for what I anticipate will be your swift cooperation in this matter. Oh, and if you should happen to find the gentleman who began the rumor that I enjoy kicking puppies... Please be sure to thank him for me. (laughs) I haven't had a single child under the age of ten in the store since. And the last thing I need is some brat knocking over a display case and accidentally starting off a meteor shower. (laughs) Artax's hypocritical bastard. Those trinkets, those little knickknacks are the source of the vast majority of your actual profits. Everybody who knows anything about magic knows that the reagents are really, really expensive compared to what you can actually sell them for. The margins are pathetic. It's on the little trinkets that aren't worth a damn that you manage to rape people for obscene amounts of profit. So I don't want to hear from you about how people are coming to your place and aren't buying things that are magical. Heck, that's probably a public service. <laughs> All the same, thank you for calling in. Always enjoy hearing from my characters. Hi, this is Daphne. I am a listener of Metamore City from the very beginning. And other than having to complain about the shortness of some of the episodes, I just wanted to let you know that I am hooked and have been recommending it to every single person I know that listens to podcasts ever since I started. Um, Great job, and I'm hoping that eventually we might be able to see some of this in print. Um, Awesome job. Thanks so much for making my life just that much more interesting. Uh She's right. You should put this thing in print, dude. It's on the agenda once the... Uh, once I get a better sense of where the uh, print market is actually going, I have I'm kind of in a holding pattern here while the chaos sorts itself out. If I make a serious recommendation, uh-huh. don't wait mm. because the process of submitting will entail the kind of editing that you'll have to do anyway. Mm-hmm. If you wait for it, then you're going to be behind those of us who are working it and in a in the active holding pattern waiting for the next opportunity. Whereas if you get into the active holding pattern instead of the passive holding pattern, you'll be 
among the first to be able to jump in once the pool is declared bacteriologically safe once again. <laughs> the other half of it is that I want to have enough um, short stories to actually put together an anthology collection. And right now, I'm in this weird place where I don't have enough short stories to uh, stand alone as a collection. And making the cut is too enormous by itself to get pushed together with anything else. So I'm working right now on writing some more short stories in hopes of having enough to put together to actually have uh, the first anthology collection. Mm-hmm. But I don't think... Th- I, I'm not sure if, if making the cut stands well on its own without the background info from the uh, from the short stories. It could be edited so that it will, mm-hmm. and probably should be, because it's very hard to break in with an anthology. I know. But after the mid-season break, you'll have enough in terms of short stories between yourself and the guest pros that you've invited in Mm -hmm. to put together an anthology. And I'm sure that... I know I at least would be happy to have my story in a print anthology. And I'm sure that uh, Nobilis and some of the other pros and semi-pros that you're talking to could be sweet-talked into that. Oh, I'm sure. Then I just need to find a... Because we are, after all... Whores. Attention whores, yes. Well, no. Just, Publicity just whores. Publicity whores. And we like to see our name in print because that gives us street cred. Yes. At this point, I'm just trying... The other part of it is where am I going to find a publisher that is willing to accept the rather extensive restrictions on the rights that they would actually get from Metamore City? Small presses. Okay. Um, but not... No. No. <laughs> We'll edit that part out. Science Fiction Writers of America keeps a registry of presses that are currently, as in within the last year, doing well by their writers or doing poorly by them. Mm-hmm. That's that's professional stuff. That's not backdoor gossip. Mm-hmm. So okay, but yeah, there are plenty of reputable small presses or small presses that do business well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's plenty that do business poorly, but yeah. they're still viable. A lot of them are still viable, even while the big guys are imploding. I've been thinking about Nightshade Books because... Nightshade's fabulous. Well, yeah. Or at least they have a fabulous reputation. And I don't know if you've read the Inspector Chen novels. No, I haven't. Very interesting. I read the first one, Snake Agent. It's an urban fantasy, an urban futuristic sci-fi fantasy a la Metamore City, but done in a in the culture of China. Mm. So it's a very uh, takes place in a city called Singapore Three. It's the third in the fran- the nice. Singapore franchise. I, I know enough about Nightshade's list to know that you would probably fit in very well with one or two of their editors. I think I I think I would. I, if they're putting out the kinds of stories that Liz Williams is doing with Inspector Chen, then then Metamore City is probably in there. And they're just in San Jose. Oh, are they really? They're local. Oh, nice. So you don't have to go to New York to negotiate. You can go to coffee at Stanford to negotiate. Now there is something to look into. Yeah. Okay. Next one. Next one. Hi there. This is Daniel from Germany. I've listened to Metamore City from all the way from the beginning. So, when I heard your discussion about uh, Jay William and his muse, I had to go back and listen to the muse again. With that extra bit of information about writer mode, I enjoyed it even more. <laughs> I love your idea of a pod commune. Uh, give those dragon lovers in Phoenix some competition, right? 
<laughs> that listening to your latest roundtable discussions, this might turn out more like a um, wall cell, breeding cell. Breeding cell, that's the word. <laughs> Especially if they are little brown birds for the, from the South Pacific around. <laughs> and <clears throat> while everyone should respect your convictions, Lester, wouldn't it be hell to be the only one living in the pot commune, or whatever name it deserves, who isn't getting any? Well, actually, just kidding. I love the show. Can't wait for the next episode. So long. Bye. Oh, boy. <laughs> Everything I want to say, I can't say on mic. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> Thank you very much, Daniel, uh, I think. Uh, Yes, J. William Karenson definitely was channeling a huge part of my personality and uh, probably reveals more about me than is comfortable to admit. Uh, no comments about pod communes, breathing cells, or little brown birds at this time. <laughs> He's a perceptive guy, isn't he? Oh man, we were we were having way too much fun in that round table. We were, um, we were. And part three is coming out soon. Yes, coming soon. <laughs> on a in at least line. one sense of the word. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> oh boy. Okay, let's hook this up for the next voicemail. One of these days, we'll get voice female. Hey, Chris, it's Josh. You know me. Hey, man, I just wanted to let you know I've been loving Menmore City Podcasts. I've started listening to them probably about three days ago. I don't know why it took me so long. but it, And I'm just about through all of them already. It's, <laughs> I just can't seem to stop listening. It's, I'm really, really enjoying them. You know... Let you uh, make a little admission here. I've known you for a long time, and some of the stuff you've written in the past, just for one reason or another, just never really helped help my interest. But you Who's have obviously funny? grown by leaps and bounds as a writer, and um, Metamore City is, is outstanding, Chris. Keep it up, man. Seriously, this is good stuff. Um, and I don't know who. I assume it was your decision to cast Brian as Artax, or if he talked you into that, or I don't know how that came about, but awesome job. <laughs> I I mean, Brian just looks like what Ar what you would think of Artax as. I mean, it just it I, I can't imagine a more perfect fit for for someone to play that role. Um, talk to you later, Chris. Bye. Thanks so much, Josh. It was great to hear from you. And great seeing you over the Christmas break, too. It's been too long, man. I take it this is an old friend. Oh, yeah. Josh and I go back to Puppet Team in junior high. Oh, wow. Yeah. And went to Mexico together, and we're on the drama team together, and the newspaper team, and I edited his articles. And Excellent. Yeah. So Josh and I have been friends for a, a good long time through thick and thin and uh we've been 
sort of on opposite sides of the country now for a long time, but um, got a chance to reconnect over Christmas. Killer. Yeah. And uh, you're absolutely right, Josh, that my writing has improved dramatically since those early days, the early stories that I foisted on you guys. And uh, I'm glad I'm not the only one who thinks so. Certainly, I would be a little hesitant to go back and show people the stories that I wrote 10 years ago, although those who are creative enough can still find them online. But yes, I have grown a lot, and it means a lot to have somebody who has seen the maturation process just say that I'm doing good work. So thanks a lot, man. Talk to you soon. Take care, and uh, stay cool down there in North Carolina killer now i gotta ask brian plays artax as well as brian yes oh wow good job brian i didn't i didn't catch the same voice and i'm usually very good at that <laughs> this is kane from washington state uh you and i talk once in a while on twitter as i'm uh, a black saber is what i go as there first i want to say thank you for uh putting out this podcast you know tirelessly it's the one of the coolest podcasts i've ever uh, experienced also i want to say that uh I would very much support uh, purchasing an actual physical novel, whatever type, book deal, no book deal, through Lulu or whatever. Uh, I think that you could make some money to, to put together to in, reinvest into the franchise doing that, and I know that I definitely would buy one. I'm sure I'm probably not alone. Uh, I'd like to also say that I think that the Psy Collective really fascinates me. Um, not so much the poly lifestyle. Uh, I, that doesn't. That's fine. doesn't bug me at all. But uh, I think when you get too many characters in there, you know, you, you can't spend enough time on, on all of them. So you have to kind of keep it to a regular set of numbers, which you've done pretty well. But the different divisions within the Psy Collective really fascinate me, particularly the intelligence division. I think you could easily have a subgenre um, that has been hit on in the novels, but I haven't seen in podcasting yet, of the you know the psychic investigator, psychic cop, uh, psychic uh, spy network, particularly uh, surrounding Brian and his uh, techno ability of entering into the computer systems. But I rambled, which I was afraid I'd do. So uh, I, again, thank you. I think Venomore City is fantastic. I look forward to more. And um, one day, I think that future generations will see Venomore City the way people see Star Wars now. Wow. Wow. See, demand is building, man. You got to get out in front of that train before it runs you over. Oh, (laughs) thanks, Kane. Yeah. I mean, I I always said that if I got to the 5,000 listener mark, then I would know that I was ready to start marketing the novel. But uh, we're getting up into the 27, 2800. Damn, uh, according to the Sigler Lafferty Index, in terms of my actual month, you know, feed burner stats, it's running around fifteen hundred. Yeah, you're still. I'm still. I'm. I'm around seven hundred. So I've got a little ways to go to catch you yet. But yeah. uh, any of you listening that like this show, hop on over to Antithesis. I promise to keep you entertained. If you suffer through the marginal audio quality of the first four episodes, mm-hmm. you'll get to some excellent audio quality the story's fun and hell you know if you like dark twisted fiction with complicated characters that'll tie your soul in knots and moral ambiguities (laughs) it's the place to go oh yes also lots of sex and violence uh, not a lot of sex, but Uh, uh, the stuff that's very sexually saturated very sexually saturated yes thanks again kane in terms of the psyop missions 
I think there is some story potential there. I don't have any plans right now to go back and delve deep into the backstory of what became the Summer Cell, but I'm sure that there are some dark and gritty and interesting stories to tell (laughs) there, as we can see just from the little flashes of what Sasha found when she filtered through Fiona's mind. You know, these guys are the dirty operations, the black op folks for the Empire who help to deal with the problems that can't be dealt with any other way. But the truth is that I'm not that into writing a lot of military fiction because I'm more interested in problems that can't be solved through the use of extreme violence. Sometimes it's worth telling those stories, but I think that we get enough of that in our mainstream American culture that I'm really more interested in the kinds of problems that can't be solved by killing all of the bad guys. Because I think that we see so many of those that we tend to assume that that's the only kind of problem that exists. And let's be honest, there are problems that require killing all the bad guys, but that never solves the problem completely. There's always other work to do. And the other work is the more dramatically interesting, usually. Yeah, exactly. I want to deal with stories that focus on hard moral choices and on situations that are complex, where it's it's not immediately obvious who's in the right, and where even if you are in the right, that doesn't give you a moral imperative to resort to violence. And where there's a difference between being in the right and being good. Mm. That's always fun. Ah, yes. Okay. Next one? Next one. Hey, Chris, this is Tasha again, and I have a question that I think you might need to answer. What do you have against vampires? I mean, in Metamore City, they kind of run organized crime, well, with the exception of Morgan, but, you know. Um, I think a big fan of vampires, not just the Twilight stuff, but, you know, like Buffy and Sparkles. Blood and all that stuff, but I mean, vampires are really kind of cool. What did you have against them? Anyway, uh, talk to you later, and Bye. I can answer this one. Chris does not like sparkly things. <laughs> <laughs> but metamorph vampires don't sparkle ever, so that doesn't really answer her you question. You realize you're throwing a gauntlet down to the people for the interregnum fiction. One of them is going to have a fight in a glitter factory. <laughs> I hope so. I, and then I, there's going to be a vampire sparkling. One of these days, I, I, we've got to do a story where where Morgan gets covered with glitter for something. <laughs> Callie will probably be responsible. <laughs> Morgan goes under... Uh, uh, I'll, I'll pitch that to you. Off okay, okay. Morgan going undercover is not an uncommon event anyway. Um, <laughs> the uh, What do I have against vampires? Um, they eat people. <laughs> Pretty basic. <laughs> Actually, I've done a lot, I think, to set up the Metamore Vampire Society as one that is not inherently filled with a bunch of psychotic bastards. There are psychotic bastards in the, the Vampire Society. Braddock is one of them. There are amoral, manipulative bastards like Malcolm Ardvalos. But they are not the whole story of vampire society. The reason why you're seeing the vampires through the lens that we are seeing them is because our protagonists are from the Psy Collective, which despises the vampires. It's sort of like watching a World War II era fiction produced by the British. Right. Or pick your war, really. 
and there's then how the Germans look, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean that may be a little even a little deceptive because the Nazi Germany was probably the one clear cut black and white case of premeditated evil in a uh, military conflict. Well, pretty much in history that I can think of. <laughs> You're shaking uh, your head. No. It it turned out to be very evil, but that was um not as premeditated as we're taught in school. Right. The uh the actual history of World War II is a lot more interesting. We're a lot more dirty and they're a little bit less dirty than we mm-hmm. like to remember. Which kind of gets to my point, which is that the bad guys always seem worse from the lens of their antagonists. Mm. Malcolm is not a nice man. He is not a good man. He is probably a great man in the sense of... The two are often mutually exclusive. Yes. Malcolm has done more to stabilize Matamor society on street level than probably any other single individual in the city. So basically we have Julius Caesar who's being painted to look like Adolf Hitler or Jim Jones. Yeah, that's probably fair. Interesting. You know, Malcolm is a manipulative bastard. There's no doubt about that. And he does have his own personal fetishes, which he will indulge when it doesn't harm his long-term interests. But his long-term interests are establishing order and minimizing the amount of damage that crime does to Metamore society. Mm -hmm. It's a responsibility that he takes very seriously. He was put in charge of the Metamore vampires by the uh, vampire queen, Talia, who is not an evil person. Mm. But she doesn't necessarily pay as close attention to Malcolm as she probably should. So it's interesting uh, you bring that up, because it, it hits close to one of the things that I enjoy most about good fiction. Growing up in uh, in America, and I'm assuming... and. Please send your hate mail to Dan at jdsawyer.net for this <laughs> for this Amerocentric uh, thing I'm about to say. But I'm assuming that because of the cultural influence we've had over the last uh, 60, 70 years, that much the same was the case in Western Europe as well. Growing up on Disney films and Star Wars and all these, uh, and, and uh, Lord of the Rings... You get accustomed to the bad guy being bad because, well, he's bad. He wants to rule everything because, well, power is so sexy. Deeply shallow motivations that that give the lie to what evil really is and how it actually works. Mm -hmm. Whereas the real monsters in history are almost always the ones that think they're doing God's work. Mm-hmm. They they're, think they're doing something for the greater good. Yep. And Malcolm is a very religious man. He is very driven by the ethos of the vampire queen, which says that the vampire's purpose in society is to breed a stronger human, mm-hmm. to improve the breeding stock. Mm-hmm. And much that the vampire syndicate does with its work fighting blood diseases, with its work in maintaining a network of blood banks around the world, is helping people. It's helping a lot of mortals, but it's helping them out of his own people's enlightened self-interest. I think it's one of the things that I value about fiction on a sociological level, good fiction that, that has complex bad guys. Because it's very easy to fall into either thinking that someone who opposes your interests in life 
hates you and wants your destruction. Mm-hmm. He's out to get you. When almost all the time, that's not the case. Right. He's out to maximize whatever he thinks his interests are, which aren't necessarily mm-hmm. his best interests. They're just what he thinks they are. Right. And occasionally, if he's out to get you, particularly like Hitler was with the Jews, or like happens crossways in Palestine and Israel, mm-hmm. or like Osama bin Laden is with uh, airplanes and giant skyscrapers, almost always... The person who's out to get you is out to get you because he thinks that the world will be a better place without you. And the only way to make the world a better place is to get rid of you. Yep. There are very few people in the human race all throughout history who are self-consciously evil. Everybody is a good guy from their own point of view. And despite the fact that humans are non-rational actors in the sense that if they had an objective viewpoint... From an objective viewpoint, humans often choose destructive or unworkable means to accomplish their ends. Mm -hmm. From a limited first-person perspective, humans are rational actors. They act the best way that they can see to go. Right. And it's very easy when you think of good versus evil to forget that the people that you're calling evil, yeah, they might need to be beaten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they might need to be destroyed, and yeah, the things they're doing might really, truly be evil. But the best way to beat them is to understand what they're about, yep. rather than to just go at them with a big stick. And that's something that both the Syndicate and the Collective have failed to do in Metamore City, um, because both of them think that the other is an abomination. The vampires see the telepaths as an unnatural a fluke, a thing that should not be, kind that are capable of changing and screwing with the minds of their rightful predators. Rather than seeing them as the next step in human evolution that they were put there to foster. Exactly. Yes, the telepaths... Love the irony. (laughs) Yes, the telepaths see the vampires as being monsters who have a version of psychic power that is a perversion of it. Because they're able to you know, influence people and control them psychically and dominate them and bind them into these hierarchies of dominance and submission that are antithetical to the way that the size believe that society is supposed to operate. So each one of them is capable of committing incredible atrocities against the other one and getting a lot of innocent bystanders hurt in the process because they each believe that the other one is, is this terrible threat. Mm. And from Malcolm's point of view, it's not personal. He doesn't have anything against the telepaths per se, other than he considers them to be a potential liability that he needs insurance against. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is, of course, the ball that set all of the events in making the cut in motion. (laughs) Chris, it's Sarah. Well, nothing like giving a procrastinator a deadline to uh, actually make them do something, because... Otherwise, I would never have called. Hey, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. My my. This is Dan. My philosophy on procrastination is do it later. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, I wanted to call you like a month ago with with this, but um, I didn't. And um, so now I'm calling on Thursday. You said Thursday, and I'm doing it on Thursday. Probably waited too long, though. Um, anyway, I wanted to uh, say to uh, you 
what did I want to say? Oh, yeah, I wanted you to stop spreading lies about me. What? Um, you said on a feedback show that I needed alcohol to be able to do my lines correctly, <laughs> and that's not true. <laughs> okay, it's half true, but it's still half false. <laughs> alcohol right, to do her what correctly? I needed alcohol that one time as... Alcohol to do her what correctly? Her lines. This oh, is this, this is Sarah who plays, plays Danny. Danny. Oh boy. Okay. I'm sorry. I was a little behind there. I was like liquid courage, <laughs> so that I could um, do that one scene, you know, and um, not, you know, do it badly. I don't know. It didn't help though. It it didn't help me be able to do those lines very well, and it oh, you certainly did fine, didn't help hon. with the fits of giggles that I. Uh, descended into a lot um so yeah sorry about that that must have been like the most tedious editing session ever because, ask paulette um, <laughs> probably all the usable audio was uh destroyed by fits of laughter but um anyway the only time the um alcohol actually helped me do my lines correctly was um coincidence because <laughs> the next scene after the um sex scene was the Jared proposing to Danny thing and you told me that uh, Danny was supposed to be a little bit drunk which was you know <laughs> good because for some reason I actually was by then <laughs> which is weird because you know one drink usually doesn't affect me at all and I had Bailey's or something and that usually doesn't do anything so actually I was a little tipsy which is you know complete coincidence what? and um Probably a good coincidence. Method acting. Really would not have been able to uh, act drunk. It would have sounded really, really, really fake. So it was probably good that I actually was a little bit drunk there. But you know, if I if I had needed alcohol to do my lines throughout the whole thing, you know, that's what you would have gotten. It's like every line sounding like you know that one scene, the, the, the <laughs> proposal scene, where I it does still kind of sound fake. <laughs> you did fine, seriously. Um, I don't know. <laughs> that's that's what I wanted to call you about. Um, and uh, I'm going to get off now because I always sound retarded leaving voicemail. So, <laughs> bye. <laughs> Reassure Sarah. Tell her that she did fine. <laughs> Sarah, what? You think I'm going to give your actors compliments just because you tell me to? No, to hell with that. Sarah, you were hot in the sex scene and funny as hell in the proposal scene. <laughs> the, 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 the booze did you good, but you do good without uh, without the aid of the booze, too. It's, uh, it's always fun to listen to you. Yeah. I've gotten a lot of compliments about your performance, including one from my dad. So that uh, should tell you something. He actually, since he actually knows you in person. I tell you the one I'm dreading is when my dad gets to the point where Cassie has her sex scene. Oh. <laughs> Those of you who don't know, Cassie is played by my sister-in-law. <laughs> and my dad is listening to the book. Awkward. <laughs> That should be fun. Makes the family gatherings really fun. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I'm I'm uh, I was a little surprised when Dad started listening to the to the show and actually really enjoying it. I'm not worried about my parents finding out anything about me that they don't already know, <laughs> because the only stuff they don't know about me is stuff they don't want to know, mm. and they've said, "Don't tell me about that." Please, I don't need to hear the details. 
But um, I wish I could be there in the room when he gets to episode seven and he hears uh, Stephanie in the bathtub with Pip Ballantyne. <laughs> because he is an ordained minister and a conservative professor, so it, the look on his face will just be priceless. <laughs> yeah, I'm. And Dad, uh, if you're listening to this, I do love you. You're just also intensely amusing. <laughs> You know, my parents listening to the show is not one, the one that worries me. It's the, you know, some of my parents' friends, <laughs> and I, there are certain of them that I hope never, ever, ever find the show. What about your students' parents? I've got... <laughs> Romeo's got my back on that. He's your boss. He's my boss. My our, One of our two principals. He knows about the show. He's a big sci-fi geek. And... Hmm. Uh, Literally, he's like six foot seven. And so he's a longtime fan of the stuff, including a fan of Heinlein. So there's nothing in this story that should shock him. Mm -hmm. And I've sat down with him last semester and talked to him about it. And he's like, hey, you know, as long as you're not, you know, pushing the show to the students, Mm -hmm. you know, they're going to find out about stuff. They're going to look you up online. And if anybody ever has a problem with it, we'll just tell them, you know, people have personal lives and their professional lives. Wonderful law about California. You can't be fired from a position for doing legal things in your off hours. Yay. <laughs> one of the better state employment laws we have. Um, we've got one more of these thingies. All righty. Lay it on. Thingy. 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 Hey, you guys, this is uh, Tristan Johnson He's harassing no. you yet again from the uh, oh, Tristan no. PEJ podcast, which you can find at tristanpej.com. Haha, I knew there was a way to get my promo in your thing somewhere. There you go. Anyways, this isn't going to be much of a question as it is just a uh, absolute love fest for the vampires that Metamore City has unearthed. And Chris, I love you. I love the writer's wiki, but... I do not have the internet skills to dig that deep and find out the entire full story of the vampires. I have a vague idea of how they work, but uh, their story, their backstory. But uh, one thing I really want to know from you as a writer's angle, since I was not around for Metamorph Keep, I'm barely around for MK2K, so I want to know what is it you feel that makes your vampires different from vampires from other fiction because one thing i have to say is i'm not a usually a big fan of vampire things just vampires in general just don't seem to have much of an interest for me but your vampires ardvalos and such they just they have those forget-me-not blue eyes suck me in and uh before i finish i just want to apologize to dan and you for the constant bombardment of my fanboy obsession i i'm gonna to try to cut it out from now on Let, let's Jeez. apologizing for for sending fan mail that's a capital offense in some cultures isn't it? <laughs> no no it's a corporal punishment offense everything oh, for you is a i'm sorry i'm, I'm fantasizing and i'm sorry <laughs> the flogger is on the wall shall i take it down <laughs> mm, flog uh sorry no um uh, thank you very much, Tristan. In terms of what makes the vampires in Metamore different, 
Well, there's two things that I think are informing it from behind the scenes. One is the cohesive backstory of the origins of all vampires and the way that it's tied in with the religious ethos of Lilith. And, you know, basically it gives the vampires a sense of purpose and a reason for being other than they're big, bad, evil monsters that are out to get you blood. They want to drink your blood. Yes. Yum. So they have a reason for existence that <laughs> implies a certain cohesive culture. So I think that that sense of structure and place and of a fitting in with the rest of the world building helps to make for a richer sort of experience with them. The other thing that I think makes them unique or well probably not unique but it's certainly special is the nature of the blood bond the fact that it is not just about feeding on something they're not just out there to suck somebody's blood and get their jollies and and move on that there is an actual spiritual connection that happens between the vampire and the donor that is inescapable for both parties And this in itself has consequences for both the prey and for the vampire. You can't be a vamp and feed indiscriminately or you will go insane or you will be so overwhelmed with guilt that you'll go for a walk in the sunlight. And so there's a... We covered this already earlier. Right, we talked about it before. So they think that it's a humanizing and a civilizing component in the mythos. And I think that it also reinforces a it, sense of... what, what it does is it removes the element of sociopath right if anyone's done uh, research on deep history of vampirism one of the more popular origin theories among uh, literary and historical scholars is that vampires grew up as a way to explain the existence of sociopaths and serial killers in cultures the notion of the vampire is so tightly tied to the notion of a psychopath or a sociopath it's it's the condition by which a person is unable to feel sympathy for another. Mm-hmm. And what you've done with that particular element is you've removed the sociopath from the vampire equation. Right. Those individuals who are sociopaths within the vampire culture go crazy and go feral. And so they are a very small part of the vampire society. They're not really a part of society at all. They're just monsters. And they get hunted down fairly quickly by the Lothanasi. I've always said that vampires are drugs and sex and God rolled into one convenient literary package. (laughs) And certainly I'm playing with all three of those tropes with uh, Metamore's vampires. The other thing that's different is vampires in the West. This isn't true of ancient world mythology, and it's not true of vampires in other cultures. But vampires in the West are particularly Catholic vampires. Mm. If you look at the tropes that have grown up around vampires from the time of Dracula forward to Anne Rice, the tropes are all very particular to Catholicism. The vampires are an inversion of communion, they're an inversion of the mass, and they're an inversion of the priesthood. It's been a way for authors to criticize the Catholic Church without being blasphemous. Um, Anne Rice is a Catholic and always, or is she Catholic or Anglican? 
She's Catholic. Catholic. And even um, while she was writing the Vampire Chronicles, she was still, you know, she she would talk about being a disaffected Catholic. And that informs everything from, you know, from the ground up. The blood means the same thing in the vampire fiction as it does in the Catholic Mass. Mm -hmm. But your vampires are biological. They're not spiritual in that sense. They're not derivatives of the Catholic faith. They're treated as if they're a different species of being evolved up from the ground. Yeah, or in this case, handmade by a goddess who had a very specific agenda in mind. But it wasn't an agenda that involved desecration and... Right, know. yeah. The the vampires came into existence long, long before Yeshua ever lived, thousands of years before. So they are definitely not at all connected to the Ecclesia in the way that the Western vamp is connected to the Catholic Church. Okay, and we are returning with some emails. This is from my friend Stina in Portland. She writes in to Chris, whose show I turned her on to. She says, Hey, I just came back from my weekend in Seattle, and I wanted to tell you that I listened to chapters 3 to 9 of Making the Cut when driving each of the three-hour one-way trip. I had some thoughts that I dangerously recorded on my iPod's notes program while I was listening and driving. I wish I had thought to do that for Dan when I was catching up on Antithesis. Stina, you're an evil, evil bastard. (laughs) That you didn't do that. (laughs) Although perhaps entering notes on an iPod while you're driving is not the best thing. Well, that's true. But I mean, (laughs) if friends of mine have to die, I'd rather they die in the process of glorifying my name, you see. (laughs) (laughs) That one's getting excerpted. (laughs) Uh, You can tell it's late, can't you? We're going to hear that one again and again. (laughs) Well, it's just my Scott Sigler impersonation. What can I say? She says, so here are my thoughts. First, I really enjoy your articulate expression of thought without sacrifice of natural speech. You're obviously very careful what words you choose. I've noticed that sometimes writers fall back on too many descriptive words at the cost of an appearance of natural flow. It really is a great joy to listen to you. Oh, thank you so much, Stina. You know, I've been engaged in storytelling verbally since I was a wee lad. And uh, my mom and I used to read stories back and forth to each other. And did so all through my, you know, even through my high school years because I was homeschooled. And so I've got a very strong sense of how stories sound when they're read well. And so the, the whenever I'm writing, the flow and cadence of the language is as important to me as the thoughts that are being conveyed. So I'm glad it's coming through. Chapter 8. First, I was curious how you chose the name Eli for the Ecclesiae. If there is a parallel name here in our world, or if it was completely made up. (laughs) Eli comes from uh, Jesus' saying in Aramaic when he was on the cross, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So interesting. Eli means. Uh, I actually thought it came from a different place because that's a bad transliteration of Aramaic. Ah, um, it's the it's Eloi Eloi E L O I is mm-hmm. the Aramaic. Mm-hmm. But um, yes, but Eli is the version that I heard growing up, mm-hmm. and I did not actually name Eli. He was that was one of the changes that uh, we came together with 
uh, as a committee um, for mm. Metamore Keep when people realized that we had written Catholicism into the same world where I had written in uh, a pantheon of polytheistic gods. Mm. And so we changed the names to protect the guilty. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, I I had thought it was a um, a shortening of uh, Elohim, mm-hmm. um, which is... Uh, well, Elohim is, is very strongly tied in with the word El, which mm, is right, which, very... It's where Eloi comes from. Right. So yeah, yeah, they're all tied together. So there's Elohim, which is Hebrew for the gods and is also the formal in the same way that the royal... It's like the royal we of theology. Right. And uh, then El is the Most High God in the Canaanite pantheon, and it was a um, what the Jews. It was the Jews' title for God because mm-hmm. they didn't want to use Yahweh, and mm-hmm. and yeah, it's all over the it's all over the Near East. It means the Most High God. Second, I found the conversation between Daniel and Evan about the warlike nature of the collective fascinating. I realized you were trying to draw a connection between the ecclesiasts. Strange, my spell checker recognized that word, but not Ecclesia. <laughs> yeah. And the Catholic Christian Church, but I really identify with a lot of Evan's observations about the Church. I should preface these thoughts by saying that I am a Christian, although a cynical one, so my perspective is one of constructive criticism rather than degradation. Mine too. I have found that this us-versus-them message is very present in the modern-day Church. Evan said, quote, If you see the outsiders as a threat, believe that an armed defense is the only way you're going to be safe from them, then you're going to find yourselves in the middle of a war whether you want one or not. End quote. In our church, the response to the conflict is a drive to convert them or lose us to their dilution. It's the old game of liquid war, which evidently there's a Wikipedia entry on. I was going to compare the collective to this, but now I've talked myself out of it in the process of typing out the argument. Damn. (laughs) Don't you hate it when that happens? (laughs) I see now that they don't fight by conversion. They choose to replicate from within using the breeding cells. They would rather avoid conflict by being passive-aggressive and secretly breeding an army. So, I'm not really sure where I was going with that, but I'll still throw in the half-baked thoughts in case they were of any interest to you. Oh, they're very much of interest to me, because that's uh, that's pretty much exactly the sort of stuff that was running through my mind as I was writing it. The Psy Collective does have a lot of intentional parallels to the uh, to the church and particularly to the evangelical church that I was raised in and there are also some parallels there to the United States of America and how it related to the rest of the world during the bush years which you can probably go hunting for without too much trouble to the ninth with it made me laugh very clever way of saying to hell with it <laughs> thank you I don't know if it's intentional or not, but the vocal artist who plays Evan in Chapter 8 does a wonderful job of matching Pip's speech patterns. Well, that's because <laughs> Pip and T have been spending so much time together that I think that they have grown uh, some sort of psychic attachment between them. <laughs> Pip and T are old friends, oh, and yeah. uh, T has a couple excellent patio books out, which you can find at tmorris.com. Oh, yes. Uh, I also thought that Daniel's perception that the collective lacks racism is a little naive. There might be diversity within the telepath community, but it certainly thinks that everyone outside of it is out to get them. You're absolutely right. People will always tend to view their own culture through a set of blinders. And Daniel believes that the Psy Collective is not racist because that's what he's been raised with. And that's, you know, he sees 
the all different skin tones and all different cultural backgrounds and does not realize that it's just a different form of bigotry. <laughs> also, I'm really enjoying your character development, and I'm enjoying the peek past the story into your, Chris's, personal character. I appreciate your accessibility both personally and technically. It's fun to ask questions and see if I'm spot on or not. It's fun to answer those questions, too. And although it is a little scary to think of how much of myself I'm probably revealing through my stories. And these feedback shows. And the feedback shows. Um, and uh, da, 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 da. she says it's too late at night to get into what she thinks about Chapter 9 in the Dance Club. I'll have to hear more about that next time. Thanks for such a great story. If I haven't said it enough already, I'm really enjoying it. Yay. Thank you, Stina. So glad that we are giving you a nice little bit of entertainment there. And thank you to Dan for turning her on to that show. <laughs> well, she, I knew she would love it, and I'm very happy that I was right. Yay! So, that is where we are going to cut things off for this feedback show, guys. Please keep sending in your messages. We love them. We love to hear from you. It brings us great joy to do these things, even though they take a very long time. If you would like to get in touch with us in the future, you can call the voicemail line, which is 206-203-0994. That is 206-203-0994. You can also leave your feedback at feedback at metamorecity.com. You can post your messages on the blog at www.metamorecity.com. You can join the Fans of Metamore City group on Facebook. You can participate in our fan-driven forums over at thecursed.org. You can find me on Twitter as Ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. And you can find me on Skype as C.W. Lester. And, of course, if you... um want to do things the old-fashioned way you can just throw a uh, note in a bottle and hope it gets over yeah, here we do live on the coast but yeah like uh, like oliver cromwell this uh, feedback show probably needs to be cut short who oh oliver cromwell the lord high protector of britain who was beheaded on the oh. restoration of the monarchy there we go yes <laughs> i knew that name rang a bell yeah but there there's literally like another 20 or 30 pieces of feedback here to do next time oh yes so if you did not hear your emails being read don't worry we still have them and uh they will be there next time but two hours plus of cut of edited feedback uh <laughs> is probably as much as anybody wants to listen to at a stretch Kitty's gotten interesting ideas about what to do with the microphone now. Okay, so why don't we go ahead and sign off then so that we can uh, explore those ideas in greater depth. (laughs) With more lubricant. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Dan, where can people... Where can people find your uh, stuff? They can find my stuff at www.jdsawyer.net. There's a podcast page there with links to everything. And there's far too much for any one person to do, which is why I keep doing it, hoping it'll go away, and making more work for myself in the process. All right. Until next time, please keep it on the bright side, as our good friend Nobilis does with this voicemail message. Okay, Chris, this is Nobilis. Just in case there was any doubt, you're a goddamn son of a bitch. Bye. (laughs) Feel the love. And so, on that jolly note, I'm Chris Lester. I'm Dan Sawyer. I'm Kitty the Very Sleepy Nikian. 
and we're signing out. Later, folks. See ya. Some of the music on this podcast was provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Some sound effects were provided by SoundSnap at soundsnap.com, while others were provided by the Freesound Project, located at freesound.iua.upf.edu. Metamore City is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. Find out more at creativecommons.org.